Hello, it's Wednesday the 23rd of August. I'm Miranda Sawyer and I'm flaunting my abs while embracing my curves. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review, where we take a hard look through a long lens at the daily doings and dontings of the UK press. What are the papers obsessed with today? Royals? Wrong'uns? War? Wild swimming? We find the best bits and share them all with you, like a friendly virus. We're out mid-morning every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, so hit subscribe on your favourite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. Now, here are the headlines for today's show. Womb for a little un. Doctors in Oxford perform Britain's first ever womb transplant. Let be fallout. Calls for investigation into hospital executives after they failed to act when medics flagged concerns. And want chips with that sausage? Is naked cooking a thing? The Times certainly thinks so. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we've issued a statement and will make no further comment. I'm Miranda Sawyer, and here to join me is writer of Bon Mot and wearer of Beau Vetement, Marie Leconte. Hello, Marie. Hello. Also joining us is joke expert and expert in jokes, Fergus Craig. Hi, Hello. guys. Hi. So what have we got on the front pages today, Marie? Um, in The Guardian, we have hospital accused of fobbing off parents of let-be murder victims. I think that's clearly a story that's not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, in The Daily Telegraph, we have lawyers block PM overruling ULES plans, which... Uh, <laughs> yeah, as soon as it says ULES, you kind of just snooze, don't you? Also, like, every single time my brain goes ULES if you want to, um, <laughs> which does not help. Um, <laughs> and in the Daily Mail, we've got a woman gives womb to her sister in UK transplant first, uh, which is, again, quite a big story I believe we'll talk about later. OK, Fergus, what do you have? I've got the Times. Uh, Chinese spy targets UK officials on LinkedIn. Uh, a, a single Chinese spy is using fake LinkedIn profiles to try to lure thousands of British officials into handing over state secrets. Presumably for money. Just capitalising on Just for fun. people's excitement. Someone's messaged me on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, it's also got Let Be Doctors Demand a Watchdog for NHS Bosses. Uh, the Eye has Sister's Gift, Britain's first womb transplant. And uh, the Daily Star has uh, warm and wet weather sends hordes of pesky bugs swarming our way. Apparently 200 billion daddy long legs are breeding. <laughs> As you we made speak, that sounds so ominous. <laughs> they're watching us. <laughs> they're breeding, and they want us to know. <laughs> now, on most of the front pages is the mind-boggling and slightly leg-crossing story of a forty-year-old woman donating her womb to her thirty-four-year-old sister, who was born with a condition that meant her own womb didn't develop properly. Eight surgeons at the Oxford Transplant Centre worked in adjacent operating theatres and the whole thing took over 17 hours. It's the first time such an operation has been performed in Britain. So, Marie, this is clearly an amazing achievement, right? Mm. Oh, absolutely. And it's a really sort of like positive medical story of like sometimes good things happen and like humans make things better. Yes, I mean, it's kind of amazing. And you, you, I mean, when I first read about it, I thought, okay, well, it's not going to affect that many people. It's quite unusual. Da, da, da. But actually, if you read the stories, it says one in 4,500 women are born without a functioning womb. So this is kind of a complete 
game changer for them. Mm. It is, absolutely. And, and even, I think, even in general, I think any, I'm sure that some of the stuff they learn trying to do that will be helpful in like further sort of like medical advances, etc. And also, as you know, the, the papers did say, I think that was in the eye. It's not a type of surgery that'll be available to transgender women anytime soon, but it may, you know, like that's kind of the first step towards maybe, you know, having trans women uh, being able to give birth, which is really cool as well. Yes, and that's, they thought that might happen in kind of 10 to 20 years. Mm. I mean, the whole thing, I have to say, is a bit mad just to think about it. You know, so there's, a, of course, a graphic in the Daily Mail, which I quite like. It's small. I would like it larger. <laughs> it's with a picture of the womb and then a picture kind of from the top of an operating theatre. And then a picture from another, from the top of perhaps a different operating theatre where this might have happened. But the whole thing is kind of mad to think about. So essentially, the sister who received a womb had ovaries and had some of her eggs removed and put in, you know, for IVF, creating embryos. And then the womb was kind of transplanted over and these eggs will then be transplanted using IVF. And the whole thing just makes my... I mean, I am sitting legs crossed, but it also mm. makes my head explode. It's, it seems like an awful lot of effort. <laughs> <laughs> I think yes. yeah, I, it's a lot of pressure on that child. If that child is ever born <laughs> and they turn out to be a bit underwhelming, a bit of a dick. Which, I mean, well, most children are, really. Yeah. You know, mm. So much effort put into it. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing I did think was that if you were the older sister, so the older sister who had the womb removed and given to her younger sister, so she has had two kids already. She's 40. So, I mean, what she could have done is been a surrogate, if you sort of mean. So the, the, mm. the embryos could have been a, yeah. like put into her. But I kind of thought maybe she just thought, you know what? I'm not doing that. I've already got two. <laughs> <laughs> Pregnancy is quite difficult. You do it. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah like, it's your turn to play with the ball. I'm giving you the ball now. You can go away. But yeah, I find that weird because surely getting your womb removed feels like more faff than being pregnant, especially if you've done it before. I don't know. I've never been pregnant. I, it feels like a lot to remove a whole... I don't know. Yeah. And also, you found a funny a kind of uh, a fact in The Times, didn't you, Fergus, about this said womb, which has now been implanted. Oh, yeah. Basically, uh, after five years, they have to take the womb out. And, and, and presumably do... not put it back into the original woman. <laughs> I wonder what they'll do with it. I mean, do they just then get rid of it? Or is it preserved? Maybe it'd be pickled it, like they used to put oh. things in those jars. It'll be put in the British Museum. <laughs> well, exactly, where it will be instantly removed and sold on eBay. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a quote in the Times from the surgeon saying, the donor and the recipient are absolutely lovely women. Well, thank God for that. I mean, if they were awful <laughs> oh, women, why would you bother? <laughs> One of them's quite nice. One of them's a bit difficult. <laughs> There is, I mean, I have to say, there is an obsession with pregnancy and giving birth, which I always find find quite weird. If you, you know, I mean, you know, can I use these phrase, this awful phrase, speaking as a mother? You know, like, you know, I've been through pregnancy twice. Mm. I had um, emergency C sections both times, and that, like, once you, once the kid is out, all that stuff. I mean, you literally forget it. It's completely irrelevant. It's mm. it's the kid, and the there's a kind of the, the research was done that that shows that it's actual, it's your doing of parenting that makes you a parent. Mm. So they did research with, obviously, gay male parents who can't give birth. Yeah. Um, they clearly didn't give birth to their children. The act of caring for an infant child actually changes your brain. The amygdala activity increases. So you could say that they are biological parents because they've been changed mm. by parenting. So it's not kind of biologically determined. So I do find the kind of obsession with the fact that you actually have to give birth in order but to isn't it the thing like, but that, that's just a woman like 
I, I think that's the thing you either have or you don't have. Like, I'd quite like to have a kid at some point. I'm not especially jazzed about pregnancy, um, <laughs> you know. Um, whereas I feel like I do have female friends who like just really want to be pregnant. I think like the pregnancy thing. And again, I think that's a part of your brain that's either there or not. Yeah. Um, whereas whether it's a scientific thing that some women feel that they have to have that or whether it's like a cultural thing where it's, yeah. you need the full package. Yes, exactly that. Full experience. I would love nothing more than yeah, like someone else to do it for. I've just invented surrogacy, but um, yeah, um, in some of it, just to be nice, you know. I don't, I don't have the money to pay them or anything. If I could just be like, if you could just carry that for me, just hold it for nine months, and then I'll come back and get it. I was yeah. offered the chance to cut the cord, and I refused. <laughs> I, I think I, they were stunned by it. But I thought, I don't know. It just feels like a competition winner thing. Like I'm like. <laughs> It's just something, it's really embarrassing. Like, here, Dad, you can do this. It's like, no, I don't need to. You cut it. <laughs> it You'll be better than me. Your teeth. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make me any less of a dad. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's also weird when you look at the, the paper. So obviously they're incredibly excited about the story, which is, mm. you know, absolutely understandable. But then because of the, the, the Lucy Letby case, they're also kind of simultaneously running pieces about how terrible the NHS is. So in the, te- you know, if you look at the front of the Telegraph, mm. uh, we ha- the, there's a bit at the bottom about the womb, womb transplant, amazing. Yep. But then it's also a kind of massive bit across the top with Alison Pearson saying that the NHS is rancid with cover-up and corruption. Yes, I mean, she's she's clearly like, she's such an angry woman. It must be really weird to kind of live with her, work around her. Like she's clearly just fuming at all times. Uh, but no, well, I think you can, you know, uh, like an undergraduate essay, you could conclude that the NHS is a land of contrasts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> As is my womb. <laughs> yeah. doesn't, I know that, that doesn't, doesn't work. I just saw it. I thought I'm going to go for it. No, I think we all laughed. <laughs> yeah, not sure why. <laughs> On the front page of the Times, there's a strap line which announces that columnist Carol Midgley has a piece entitled The Day I Tried Naked Cooking. Um, this is, you know, she has a regular column, but this particular piece is sparked by an article which was in the Times about a restaurant where you can eat in the nude for around 200 quid. Anyway, uh, Fergus, have you ever tried naked cooking? Uh, I don't think so. Not to my memory. If I did, it never made an impact. Um <laughs> This is, yeah, I've read the piece in the Times too. It's it's such a nothing story. So much of newspapers are just nothing. They're about nothing. <laughs> she says, Carol Midgley, uh, at some, she talks about the restaurant and then she says, some people think chopping, peeling and sautéing while wearing no clothes makes them more creative. What people? <laughs> <laughs> Who, Who said Who might this? think this? And that's just the leap-off point for a whole... Uh, piece on cooking naked. I mean, you know, she has to do it, file a column every week. It's, you know... It's difficult. Tricky. No, I appreciate it. I just, you know, I feel I like some I'm of these... I'm sad there were no puns because I'm trying to think... I've got... Yeah, there's going to be something like, you know, burger cooking with your baps out and stuff like... Yeah, exactly. Something just... And also a picture is what I thought. Yeah. I, th- I mean, oh, I genuinely have, yeah. thought there would be a picture of her in a comedy penny, with mm. no, you know, with kind of nothing underneath, you know... And just holding a pan. Holding a pan, wink, or, holding yeah. a pan winking, you know, like... Mm. 
that that has not happened, which would be the whole point of it. I you know, that feels like a deep, deep August story. <laughs> like, we're not even going to bother making it fun. Like, exactly. It's just there was a page in the paper. The page has words on it now. Our work is done. I mean, there's also in, in the sun, there's um, uh, an interesting summer infographic. <laughs> Should uh, this, we have a look at that? Yeah, it's classic sun stuff. I feel like this the sun's been doing this story once a month for 40 years. <laughs> um, uh, how much sex it takes to burn off favourite meals. Uh, so it's it's calculated how much sex. It doesn't, it doesn't state how vigorous the sex needs to be, but um, how long you have to have sex for yeah. to burn off various meals. Uh, baggers and mash, one hour, 58 minutes. It's a long time. It's also very precise. What, not two hours? One hour, 58? Yeah. Okay. Two minutes off for a fag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're done. <laughs> <laughs> what are the others? Which ones that take the longest? Is that the longest? The longest one is uh, uh, KFC Mighty Bucket. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, two hours and 48 minutes. Of course, the tragedy of this is that those who do eat a KFC Mighty Bucket, you have to presume, are the least likely to have sex for two hours and 48 minutes. No, because I was about to say, that's one actually, like, you could use that as a snack, surely. Well, like, you burn the calories as you consume them because you're just like a bit of chicken another half so hour. <laughs> it's a fun evening. But, yeah. it, I was going to say for all the family, but that's wrong. <laughs> That's completely wrong. We'll be calling child services after this, Miranda. (laughs) But the headline in the sun is all right. That's not bad. Sure. Um, Fancy a romp steak, darling? Maybe a banger and mash? (laughs) Hey, that's the point of it. I mean, there is a kind of uh, element of it. You could combine the two. So you have like, it's like a Channel 4 show. So you do your naked cooking Mm. in a kind of great British strip off manner with your comedy penny and then you feed your beloved and then you have to have the sex for the amount of time i mean it's i mean you could i can imagine a tv format no and we could call it the great british bonk off hey hey British. a lot of a lot of restaurants now have the amount of calories yeah which i'm do. furious about because mm. it takes enjoyment away so what they should have is just how just how long you have <laughs> sex for yes that's true you know packet of crisps 10 mins that uh, kind of thing yeah and then a room out the back <laughs> <laughs> now here at paper cuts we love an excellent headline short and sharp punny and funny the best headlines are set up and punchline all rolled into one what have we found today i have to say we haven't found very much no, it's not been great. I think like, really, like, the, the subs are all collectively on holiday, I think. Definitely, especially at the sun, which is normally quite good. I know, and the mirror as well, nothing at all. Nothing okay, at but all. Fergus, you found a couple, right? The Daily Star's doing quite well. Uh, they've got a story about uh, the face of Christ appearing on a pair of tracksuit bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> big news day, yeah. Which, I'll be honest, they've got a big picture and I'm not seeing it. Uh, but the headline is Jesus and Dairy Stain. Excellent. Very I love good. that. Should be the though, shouldn't it? Jesus and, and the, the dairy stain. stain. Yeah, true. And uh, they've also got a little bit on Rishi Sunak's uh, shit drawing of a bee, which we've <laughs> all seen now. And uh, the headline is a B minus. Okay. Yeah, pretty good. And that's a B minus headline, I would say. Sure. Okay, uh, Marie. Uh, oh, this is going to be a great one because I don't understand the story and I don't understand the headline. Uh, <laughs> um, but in Sun Business, obviously my, my favourite section, I, I love business. Um, and when, yeah, just all, all of that business stuff. Anyway, so uh, 
British chipmaker Arm yesterday fired the starting gun on plans for a New York Stock Exchange listing after snubbing London. Again, I do not know what that means. Uh, but they headlined it with Arm, an English firm in New York. Uh, okay. Which I also do not get. <laughs> we can explain it to you. It's I'm an Englishman in New York, which is like a sting song. Oh. You're possibly too young and actually and too, too French, French. Yeah. <laughs> to know it. You know it's always it? one of the two, like, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, and you've got another one, right? Then, oh, yeah, so like, this is. Uh, listeners may love to know that the background of you know how paper cuts is made we do use lots of post-its and the fact that i just had to reach for a post-it called horny daddies uh, made me like giggle already so uh the star again the star did have actually quite a good day so i will say actually even like the full story is two sentences and i will just read it out because it's beautiful um a randy daddy long legs army is on the march across the uk looking to mate a record-busting plague of 200 billion crane flies is expected to cover the nation in the coming weeks uh a great story in itself, but then the headline is... <laughs> <laughs> Sex star of daddies looking for legs over. <laughs> we love it. The star definitely deserves some kind of award. <laughs> it's funny, we're, we're all laughing about this now. <laughs> we'll look back. That was the month everything changed. <laughs> Now, in most of the papers, there's a piece about the funniest joke in Edinburgh, where the public considered 10 jokes told by comedians at this year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival and picked the one they thought was the funniest. The joke was told by Lawn Rose Treen, who got a lovely Dave Award, and after that, a whole load of online abuse. Hilarious! Fergus, would you like to tell us the joke and then tell us if it's funny or not? You can decide. Oh, I'm going to try and remember the joke now because it's not in this piece. I think the joke is... I was dating a zookeeper, but he turned out to be a cheater. If that's pretty much it, yeah. That's the joke, yeah. right, which we all analysed to death yesterday <laughs> on Twitter. Because, I mean, it doesn't quite work, does it? No, but yeah. that's why I quite like it, because it doesn't quite work. I quite like it because it's the idea that you were, like, dating a zookeeper, but actually he was, like, it was actually an animal. It's also it's funny, but people don't like that. Sure, maybe. It, no, but isn't it just, I don't know, it... Yeah, I think the Twitter thing has really annoyed me because I think if you heard that on your, you know, fourth day of the fringe, you've had a hangover for the entire time, you can't remember sleep, you'd laugh. Like, you'd just, like, I think it's quite in the context of being at the fringe, I think. Like, I, I would have chuckled. This but is I, what... I feel like you disagree from your No, no, there. no, I don't have a problem with the joke at all. It's like, it's the context. Who knows where, where that joke comes in the show, what character says it, I, you know. Mm. It might be hilarious in context. And as a comedian yourself. As a comedian, look, as a comedian myself, I have to say <laughs> that I, I just find the whole thing very irritating because it costs a lot of money and a lot of time to take an Edinburgh, a show to Edinburgh. Like, I mean, most of these people, I remember selling, I think I've got the figures right, I remember selling £18,000 worth of tickets and losing four thousand pounds—that's oh like God. what it's like to do Edinburgh. Did you really... get a suite somewhere? <laughs> I did have a nice place to stay. <laughs> it is like a very uh, expensive endeavour and a very emotionally grinding and everything. And over the last few years, this top ten jokes thing has become representative of the whole Edinburgh fringe, and it just seems to be sort of illustrative of what. 
has gone wrong with the Edinburgh Fringe, that it's all boiled down to this. And now there's like a piece in the sun, RIP comedy, and it's how uh, the, the comedy has died of wokery in Edinburgh 2023. Not I mean, they've literally that, got a gravestone, haven't they? They've got a gravestone and everything. <laughs> Not that that joke is it woke at all. But um, it, it's come to... These jokes have come to represent all comedy when really it's just a case of... And, they, and when they announce the award, they say, oh, we scoured the Edinburgh Festival to find the best jokes. All it is is they... Whoever's doing this award, Dave, they email the PRs. The PRs ask the comedians... What jokes do you want to enter for this? The comedians sometimes just write jokes that aren't even in their Edinburgh shows. Just bash them out. Just bash them out, send them off. And they've learnt that the jokes that win these awards are basically Christmas cracker jokes. Yeah. But the, it, this gets way more coverage than anything else in the fringe. Like in a few days' time, they'll be the winner of the Edinburgh Comedy Award. And that won't be or overall the papers. Do you think it's a kind of just a misunderstanding of what comedy is I mean I know obviously comedy is puns which Mm. is what this is but then it's also a whole load of other things especially in a one hour show I mean it's all about the what you being there as a member of the audience and that kind of creation of a uh, mm. uh, you know, I want to use the word vibe, but that's possibly the wrong word. Mm. But like, you know, the, the of the of the element of being there is the point of it, and you can't ever kind mm. of squish that down to one joke. And especially because I feel like probably one of the funniest shows I've seen at the Fringe when I didn't go this year, but in uh, previous years, um, which is a, a proper Fringe classic, is uh, Margaret Thatcher, Queen of Soho. And again, you could not like, there's not a single joke in there. I think you could just pull out and out of context, which would make a- any form of sense. But that's the point. For an hour, you're just like in that different universe, and you have a tremendous time. So yeah, so no, I kind of agree. I think that the format just doesn't really work. Like it could never be representative. It's also unfair um, on the comedians because the jokes just go into the ether. They don't mm. like people were talking about in Good Morning Britain yesterday. Uh, telling the jokes and not even naming the comedians. Yeah, they're just jokes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there are some. Can I read some out? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so there were other ones. And this is from William Stone. Nationwide must have looked pretty silly when they opened their first branch. Quite like that. Okay, Mm. and this one is from Sikisa, which is kind of relevant to us. When women gossip, we get called bitchy, but when men do, it's called a podcast. (laughs) And then uh, there's obviously uh, previous ones from Tim Vine, who's won loads, and he's won this a couple of times, I think, because he is a pun-type person, Mm. and he's won it with uh, lines like, I've decided to sell my Hoover while it was just collecting dust, and I've just been on a -a once-in-a-lifetime holiday, I tell you what, never again. And there's one more, sorry. You see, I, I quite, I like, quite like them. Yeah, yeah. I do like them. And then there's another one from uh, Dan Antopolsky. Hedgehogs, why can't they just share the hedge? <laughs> is that definitely Dan Antopolsky? <laughs> yeah, apparently, it? yeah. And Faye Tracy, I was dating an older man, not because I have issues with my father. I'm just really competitive with my mother. <laughs> You see, some of them are funny. I had one yeah. at the top of the list about 20 years ago. <gasps> Did you? What was it? Can you remember it? Uh, it was topical at the time, sort of. <laughs> the dodo died. Dodi died. Di died. Dando died. Dido must be shitting herself. <laughs> uh, now let's move past the hard news to the fun stuff of the papers, the silly stories, daft trends and will this do columns, although we've kind of done one of those already, <laughs> haven't we? Nestling between the front pages and the football. Uh, Fergus, what have you found? And I just have to say, you found this story in City AM, which is a kind of 
business freebie sheet that you get you get given if you're on the tube mm, in I'm, London. I too am a big fan of business. <laughs> <laughs> There's no business like business. <laughs> uh, Harry Kane uh, has uh, a boot deal with uh, possibly the least cool footwear brand, Skechers. Yes. So uh, they used to be associated with Britney back in the day. Yeah, they were also, girl trainers. Yeah, they're, they're very much associated with little kids. So they're like mm. the ones that you would wear that would light up. Where You know, that y- your kids are always bothering you when they're a certain age and they want mm. kind of sparkles and trimmings. Mm-hmm. Sketches are what they go for. My son has bull boys. Um, they've got dinosaurs on them. They light up. Oh, and they're also cool. sketches. Yeah. yeah. It's not far away from getting a deal with Lely Kelly Shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Or even Crocs, although Crocs are quite cool now. Are they? Yeah. They are. Not good for playing football. I think, no, that the backlash has started already now. So they were cool for a bit, but I think that we're getting past clogged now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they can sod those guys. So basically, Harry Kane is wearing Sketch's first ever football boots. They are the SKX01, so presumably they will be 02. And he says he's so happy to join the Sketcher football family. I mean, it must be a massive family, I think, the mm-hmm. sketches. No, the football family is enormous. Sure. Um, and he says he loves the comfort and feel of the boots and there's loads more to come in the partnership. So obviously a lot of money and possibly other stuff. But there's this brilliant ad where <laughs> Harry Kane kind of turns up and he voices the ad in his very Harry Kane way. So it's just really depressing. And it features somebody painting, somebody playing in an orchestra, somebody dancing, playing chess, and then Harry running about <laughs> an empty football field in his blue sketches boots and scoring a goal by himself, because nobody else is wearing Sketch's boots. There's no one else for him to play football to with. Maybe, I mean, maybe he just, maybe he's not doing it for the money. Maybe he's just really passionate about Sketch's. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he got the mini toys in the bottom, and like when he was a kid, and thought, you know what, I really love those guys. Yeah, he's got kids around like the right age, doesn't he? Or does he? Yeah. Yes, he just had yeah, another so little baby. I'm presuming yeah. they're not adults. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also a bit weird because he's moved to the Bundesliga, so you kind of thought he might be associated with. Adidas or Puma or, you know... I thought you were going to say, like, brand. sausages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where sausages on his feet. Yeah. Why would he not? Fascism. Sauerkraut. Fascism. Oh. <laughs> we're in two very different directions there. <laughs> Sauerkraut and fascism. But anyway, Sketches... They're a really fri- yeah, cursed fringe show, actually. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Sketches of, like, kind of moving into sports, I think, away from the light-up uh, souls and little... Uh, little toys and so they're associating with other sports and I kind of read up on these sports and one of the ones that they're associated with is pickleball sorry what pickleball (laughs) do you know what this is I've refused that Jenny as a point of principle I've refused to read up on it I know it exists but it's one of those where one day I was like nope Enough. I have enough knowledge in my brain. I will not learn about a new sport. Well, That's Sketches it. is big in pickleball. It's a kind of version of tennis, apparently. <laughs> Played with a pickle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who knows? So, Marie, you found an- another story in City AM, actually. Quite weird. Um, I did, yes. Um, something about uh, immersive reality um, and people using VR headsets, and not not quite yet, but in a few years to attend gigs they didn't get quite um, they didn't get tickets to, which I am not convinced by personally. Yeah, it's quite weird. I mean, you know, obviously there's a whole lot of problems with people who needed kind of Taylor Swift tickets, or mm. you know, that's their say, own fault for being Taylor Swift fans. Well, I'm, you know, there's a lot of them, and they were very upset about it, and they didn't mm. get tickets. So the idea is that. <laughs> 
you'd be able to watch the gig on your VR headset when the, when it comes down in price from about three grand to whatever. But also in this piece, the idea is that even if you have a ticket, so you'll go off, you know, merrily off to watch Taylor Swift, you hold your phone up to film. You see extra kind of Pokemon bits while you're doing it. I mean, everybody's looking very distressed about this. But yeah, I mean, not... I imagine that people who are you know, younger people, will they like this? But it, oh, Isn't it know. just I a version like... of the Ab- ABBA version? You know, it's like a kind of version on your phone, no? No, I don't like it. I feel like we already have, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to sound about a million years old here, but I think we already have a problem of like teenagers have horrible mental health at the moment. And it's it's hard not to think that that's doesn't have anything to do with the fact they're just stuck at home all the time on their phones, on their computers, not really leaving the house, not really talking to people in real life. And it's a bit like, oh, cool, we're adding yet another way in which they can just stay at home, not actually connecting with anyone in a real physical, meaningful way. And I'm, yeah, spiritually here, I, I stand with the grumpy boomer dads. I think this is bad. <laughs> yes, in the They're back. depressed is enough as it is. We don't need to add Taylor Swift into the mix. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Also, my main thought is that I, I once did a VR headset 3D thingy specifically at the Biennale uh, when I was living in Venice and I had an absolutely crippling hangover that day and let me tell you not good <laughs> like, no. not, absolutely not good to have that on your head when you were like, quite nauseous to begin with yeah, well exactly yeah. if you at all travel sick which I get travel sick I can't wear them at all I mm. mean they're just literally but then I can't even play Mario uh, Mario Kart really? <laughs> I can't Aww. do that without being ill so Aww. you know it's not for me but anyway there's another kind of related story in The Guardian isn't there about music industry workers who've had no work in the EU since Brexit which is very sad um, it, it is. Well, I think it, it's slightly one of those. It's like, oh, wow, if if only someone could have seen that coming. You know, if only anyone had warned that this might happen. Um, but yeah, so a quarter of UK music industry workers have had no work in the EU since Brexit, which, again, is not massively a surprise because you do have the problems of like visas, or like even bringing equipment like to and from the EU has got a lot more expensive, etc. Um, and also, um, and, and I think that's slightly adjacent, but I've got quite a few friends who work in fashion and fashion has kind of become the same. I think a lot of these industries rely on people moving around quite a lot. So, like, you know, the team will be half from, let's say, the UK, half, you know, mostly from Paris, but then a few people from Berlin, etc. And everyone travels to the shoot or the gig, etc. That can't really happen post-Brexit. So, again, the, in the case of the fashion industry... Um, London doesn't really have fashion anymore and you know all the like really high level shoots uh, happen in Paris now and and, and I suspect that a similar thing uh, is happening uh, with music as well of actually there's no longer the UK within the EU and kind of everyone travelling across and doing everything together like the EU is kind of doing its own thing on the side which is a bummer it's a complete bummer I mean you see you know like so a quarter of these uh, of mus- musicians and people who work in the music industry have had no work but like half of them have had less work so if you're a kind of opera singer and you're a British opera singer you can't get they won't have you for an audition in Paris because what's the point you're, it's mm. just you know you won't you won't get that work and of course it used to be much more international I used to have quite a nice sideline in doing adverts in Europe did you? I did quite a few. For, In what language? Um, usually, well, adverts, I mean, this is a podcast, so I can't really do it, but I've made a lot of money over the years by sort of doing this face. <laughs> 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 Just like the comedy boyfriend or dad or whatever. Yeah. What? Like that for like um, French insurance, Swiss insurance, Norwegian insurance, Dutch insurance, a lot of insurance commercials. That yep. is so weird. Yeah, and I've done a lot of, yeah, a lot of adverts in Europe over the years. And since Brexit, that's all dried up. And it's either because of Brexit or because I put on a bit of weight. I don't know which. (laughs) 
you know, don't look like you're an insurance guy. Yeah. Or insurance seeking there guy. There was always something about me that made mainland Europeans want to buy insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Um, really sad you're not single because there's a hinge profile that's just absolute gold. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it is it is really sad because it's one one of the things that we do really well in Britain is music. We're mm. brilliant at it. That's like kind of one of our main exports, and it just is wrecking much smaller. You know, if you're kind of big band, you can afford the extra days and you mm. know uh, uh, with all the different carnets and stuff like that. But if you're a small band, I mean, one of the people that was interviewed for this report, which was done by the Independent Society of musicians basically said you know they can't they can't do it anymore they've literally folded because mm. they can't they can't make money enough money touring britain because yeah, that's the problem as well isn't it of like touring is normally how a lot of smaller bands get their money so if you can't tour you can't even just be a band yeah it's just um, rubbish it's just really sad but anyway to cheer us all up they're bringing back the fire festival <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the Fire Festival? Yes, I watched both documentaries. Oh, I loved it so much. The documentaries are just amazing. Um, and the Fire Festival, which was um, uh, sold as a as a place to go and rave with supermodels, essentially on an island, a, a beautiful island, was an absolute disaster. And there were some excellent documentaries make, uh, made about it, which were full of shard and fraud, really brilliant. Um, and then they're going to bring it back. There's something about it in The Guardian, right? Yes, there was this guy, Billy McFarland, who uh, organised the original disastrous uh, fire festival with uh, everyone's favourite naughty's rapper Ja Rule. <laughs> and uh, it was, as I say, a disaster. And now that he's out of prison, <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, working on a, a, doing it again. He's targeting Fire Festival 2 for the end of next year. It's a bit like when they brought back the Titanic, isn't it? <laughs> it's very similar, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, do they say where it's going to be? I mean, do we have any idea? Jar Rule got off with everything, I have to say, because he was kind of completely exonerated. He just was like, I never knew anything was going on. Oh, I'm Jar Rule, sorry. <laughs> and he just got, you know, he got away with it. It's going to be in Watford. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't say where it's going to be. <laughs> well, if it was in Watford, we might go. And that's the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to Fergus. Thank you. And thanks to Marie. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow Paper Cuts on your favourite podcast app. If you really like it, then leave us five stars on Spotify and Apple and the review that my mum would leave if only she knew how. You can also follow us on X and Instagram at Paper Cuts Show. The links are in the show notes. I've been Miranda Sawyer and you've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when we learn from the eye that Adolf Hitler's childhood home in Branau, Austria is about to be converted into a police station. Dial 999. <laughs> See you next time. Paper Cuts was written and presented by Miranda Sawyer with Marie LeConte and Fergus Craig. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. The managing editor of news was Jacob Jarvis. Production support was from Adam Wright and the producer was Sophie Black. The music was composed by Simon Williams and the executive producer was Martin Boytosh. <laughs>